and welcome to another episode of Use of Force. This week we were walking our route that took us to the locations of the Battle of Brooklyn and we will be talking about an incident that took place in the Crown Heights neighborhood of Brooklyn where Saeed Vassal was shot and killed by police on April 4th, 2018. And Mike is going to read the use of force report to get us started. On April 4th, 2018, at approximately 1642 hours, officers responded to several 911 calls of a male pointing a gun at people in the confines of the 71st precinct. Upon arrival at the location, they observed a male subject holding what appeared to be a firearm in his hand. The officers issued several commands to the subject to drop the perceived firearm. The subject assumed a shooting stance and pointed a silver object at the officers. The officers then discharged their firearms at the subject, striking him multiple times. The subject was removed to the hospital by EMS and pronounced deceased at 1701 hours. A fuel soldering torch was removed from the scene. The toxicology report indicated the presence of alcohol and marijuana in the subject's system at the time of his death. So... This incident was actually something that, whether it was because of the incident itself or the timing or both, was something that got a lot of attention. The neighborhood, his, that particular part of Crown Heights, that, that night there were already people out in the area where this all happened holding a vigil and protesting and word spread really quickly and then throughout the next weeks and months there were a number of protests and marches and demonstrations linked with Black Lives Matter protests surrounding the the death of Saeed and up until I mean this was only 2018 so up until even just last year in 2020, so very recently, there are still vigils and marches and Saeed's family is involved with the Black Lives Matter movement. And the sort of the biggest thing that people seem to be talking about with this this case is that Saeed was a really well-known person in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. He had moved to, to Crown Heights from Jamaica with his family at six years old. He lived in the neighborhood. He had a teenage son in the neighborhood. His parents were in the neighborhood. And he was known as being someone that was mentally ill and, you know, the, the different shops and neighbors and people that spoke to reporters about Saeed said that he would, would pretty much just walk around most days. And he had worked as a welder until his mental illness became 
so bad that he really couldn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. But he worked as a welder and had this fascination with metal. So I guess it was common for him to be picking up metal objects from the ground and carrying them around. Mm. And this particular day, the police were called multiple times saying that there was a man carrying something that looked like a gun, pointing it at people. The reporting on this is a little bit fuzzy because I guess the police aren't supposed to release the transcripts from 911 calls or security footage, mm -hmm. or at least at that time. That wasn't something that was being released. Mm -hmm. And so they, but they did release portions of the transcripts, mostly to sort of explain why they arrived and shot Saeed. So I guess there were three calls, and one of them was a frantic woman saying that there was a man that had a gun. And then the other two mentioned that there was someone with something that looked like it might be a gun. And one of the calls said that he was pointing it at people and popping it as if it had it, as if he was pulling the trigger. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so a lot of the, the conversation around this in the reporting is has to do with why did three people call the police on this person that was so well known in the neighborhood first of all and then secondly what happened when the cops actually showed up is that two police showed up in uniform three plainclothes officers arrived and by all reporting, actually, they say that within 30 seconds of the police pulling up, they had shot and killed Saeed. Mm. So there wasn't the what you typically would want to see in uh, when the police are called. It would be some sort of de-escalation tactics. There wasn't anything like that. The reporting does differ. Some people say that the police didn't say anything to him at all. Other people say that they did yell something quickly. But all, all reports do say that they showed up and just shot him immediately. Mm -hmm. And they also shot him 10 times. Mm. And one of the local shop owners or someone that worked at the local beauty salon it's unclear she said that she heard the first shot she saw him fall and then she heard them shooting again so it seems like while the the police report talks mostly about you know why they arrived and the fear of this person possibly having a weapon it seems like somehow you know either it was that fear or it was 
trigger happy police people as some of the, the people interviewed called them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, as far as people calling the police on someone who's so well known, mm -hmm. it's you never know what the circumstances are. Of It could be that somebody was passing through the neighborhood that didn't know or somebody that just moved there or just simply somebody that didn't know. I mean, it's it's still a city at the end of the day. And there's, you know, there's the potential that somebody might not be recognized by someone. So there's that. I mean, it, it does seem like the community cared a great deal for him, or at least was able to accommodate whatever his issues were. Yeah. Yeah. And actually what you just said is, so it, it still isn't clear who called the police. I can't imagine it ever will be clear unless someone comes out and says, I'm the person that called the police because the I don't even think it's recorded the person that calls typically when you when you do call 911 and the police are, certainly aren't going to release the actual audio uh, clips. But there is a lot of conversation around this assuming that whoever did call the police was like you said either someone that just moved to the neighborhood or someone that was just passing through. And it's created a lot of conversation around gentrification and basically, you know, how, how to keep things fr like this from happening when it is a city where people are going to be moving from place to place and whether that's some kind of clearer communication around if you're moving into this neighborhood like this is these are the rules almost or like this is what to expect or like you know it, and of course you can't do that community by community necessarily but more of like getting it into the zeitgeist that hey if you're a quote-unquote gentrifier and you're moving into a new neighborhood take some time to understand the community, understand the neighborhood, get to know people, get to know your surroundings before trying to make it yours and make it comfortable for you. But rather, if you're moving somewhere, try to be comfortable with what it is. Yeah. And I think I'm saying that actually probably in a way that might even be more patient and inviting than I think a lot of people are saying it but yeah and but I think also a lot of the things I'm reading surrounding this are reports of people speaking out sort of right after this happened or with a lot of um, emotion yeah I think it's that irrespective of crime or anything, I think that generally is how people should be thinking when they're moving into a new area, mm -hmm. is that they need to spend time broadening their understandings of their new surroundings. I also think that there is something a little 
tragic about pursuing that line of thinking as well with respect to the real problem, which is the institutions that are supposed to solve these things. It kind of almost strikes me like how we as consumers are expected to solve global warming by bringing our own bags to the grocery store mm. when the companies are at the top are the ones that are dumping thousands of tons of carbon into our atmosphere and things like that, you know? Right. So in this instance, you're somebody that's new to the neighborhood potentially. I mean, this is a very hypothetical. We still don't know. Right. But you see somebody that's wielding to your eyes a gun and you should be able to call someone, but really it should be perhaps a mental health interventionist right. or, or something rather than people feeling like, hey, you need to recognize police aren't welcome here. It's like police should be welcome here. We need to solve that problem. Yeah, the police system needs to be fixed to a point where they're not they're not only welcome, but it's encouraged right. because it's a good system. Whereas what we have right now is, yeah, you you hesitate. You don't want to call the police because you. it's like the potential of putting fuel on the fire. Yeah. There's a dangerous situation and you calling the police could go, it's really 50-50. Yeah. It could either get someone killed or it could save someone from getting killed. Yeah. So, yeah, it puts people in a really difficult situation. But I do think that both things need to happen because I do think also in, in this particular case, you know, it's, it's impossible to actually put yourself in the position of seeing this all happen. But I think... You know, what kind of, I guess, stands out to me is that one of these callers was a frantic person saying that someone had a gun. And I don't know, I think coupling sort of, if this is someone that's new to the neighborhood, I think coupling, okay, I'm going to, even if you're calling someone that's non-police, even if you're calling some sort of like community intervention specialist, there should be an understanding of I'm calling and if I am calling in a frantic manner, I'm going to create fear and I'm going to create this idea that there's like life or death urgency. Mm -hmm. And so that I do think that that needs to be something that people can try to get under control or try to, you know, place themselves in a way and ground themselves in a way when they are intervening in something. But then also, of course, there needs to be a system that doesn't just react. Yeah. They, they need to be trained to not just, oh, there's someone frantic that must be crazy. You know, they, it kind of needs to be on both sides. Yeah. I mean, I agree with everything that you're saying. I would be very hard-pressed to call the police in most circumstances because I don't know the full context of things. It really would take something 
exceptional for me to do so. And I probably would try and be as calm as possible, yeah. as you're suggesting. I am concerned about the ability of most people to do that. And I think it's good to be able to communicate that we should all try and have a type of behavior when calling the police. But I, again, feel like the burden should be on the people that are professionally trained to deal with these circumstances. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the majority of the weight for this goes to the people that take this on as a job. Yeah. But I also, yeah, a small portion can fall on to the citizens as well. Yeah. Um, and then as for the actual arrival of the police and their trigger-happy response, as people were suggesting, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it, 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 the timing, as described, seems so abrupt. Right. It really, it does seem as though their decisions to use lethal force was informed by whatever the call was. Right. So, so that is part of the whole issue and part of why I guess I feel like there some of this does fall onto the the people reporting anything because one thing I read about this said that the officers were they weren't going out on a mental health emergency call they were specifically going out on a firearms call mm -hmm. and I guess it's a different you know you get you send a different unit and you send um it's just a different like level of urgency yeah so in that case it's it's tricky to say i mean i guess better training for people that go out on firearms calls would be a big part of it but then yeah it also does again come back to the people that made the 911 calls uh whether they you know we're so focused on there being a man with a gun but maybe not paying attention to what like what exact does he seem stable otherwise like does he seem like does this seem like a mental health emergency or does this seem like a person that is purely violent and i mean it's hard to say like stable yeah because that doesn't seem to match up but i think do you understand what i'm saying like i, I do think that there's something that we can all try to just pay more attention to yeah yeah i i agree i mean i i think uh, if you spend enough time out on the streets in new york and and are willing to pass through and exist in spaces that you're not familiar with that is a cardinal rule to yeah. existing in those spaces 
I think this is the first time that we have encountered a story like this so far, where there was, I mean, we're, again, I really have to stress that we are speculating uh, heavily as to what this call was like. We don't have any information, but right. the idea that there, the the reporting to the police was a primary function of the use of force. Mm -hmm. I don't recall another instance to this point that was where that was kind of the the top storyline. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think that we have talked about something like this, and it is kind of, I mean, with. I'm sure we all are familiar with the woman who called the police early on in 2020 in Central Park. And I do wonder, I mean, this was just two years prior, and it did get a lot of coverage, not sort of enough that everyone knows Said's name or enough that like it gets talked about still frequently. But in certain circles, at least, it got a lot of coverage. Yeah. And I, I just wonder how much this incident influenced what happened in early 2020 last year. Yeah. With that incident. Yeah. And it's, you know, and, and we, there is an understanding sort of in the, in society now when that happened, the more recent phone call, that the reason this woman needs to be, uh, you know, punished was because of things like this, like this incident with Saeed, because making a phone call can cost someone their life, their life potentially. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's not like this is, uh, an anomaly historically. I mean, this right? No, of course. You know, yeah, the idea of, of people reporting on people of color, yeah, uh, for crimes that they did not commit, right, or for crimes that are being aggrandized yeah. to the level of of people losing their lives. It repeats itself over and over. We've seen it over and over and over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think the the only other thing I wanted to bring up here is that one year after this incident um, in which this would have been in March of 2019 Letitia James announced that they were not going to be pressing charges against the police officers so that sort of you know got people upset again um, I think there was a hope that there would be some justice served. That's that's probably the best way to say it. Um, but that the investigators said they did not find adequate evidence to warrant charges. And then at some point in between the killing of Saeed and the announcement by Letitia James, Bill de Blasio spoke to say that he was going to unveil 
his long overdue overhaul of how the NYPD deals with mentally ill New Yorkers. And him and his wife were working on the Thrive NYC mental health program, which I've looked it up and it's kind of unclear what it actually does to help, but there's a lot of infographics about how many people in New York have mental illness and how that differs by neighborhood and how that differs by race and gender and you know, facts like New Yorkers without health insurance are less likely to be connected to mental health care, which is riveting. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I, you know, I'm being a little bit of a jerk, I guess, um, about this program. I'm glad that they're trying to do something, but I, I guess I just wanted to point it out because this is sort of, I guess, what the mayor is pointing to as the way to move forward when dealing with mental health emergencies. And I think it's something to look at and follow and try to hold him accountable, at least until he's as long as he's in office. Yeah. Well, it's good to have the data and perhaps it's something we or other people would be able to incorporate in further initiatives. And I mean, I, I yeah. do recall we have encountered several instances during these reportings of the special mental health unit that was mm -hmm. going to be created and then ultimately was created a couple of months ago. Right, right. So I don't know if this is an offshoot of this with the pandemic. So many things are uh, have been overturned. That's true. Uh, in terms of what the plans were. Yeah. And actually, that's a good point. On this particular website, there do seem to be links for people that are specifically struggling with mental health during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So whether they've sort of just switched their focus a bit while people are more inside, um, it's unclear. But yeah. yeah. And, and ultimately, I, I don't. I do want to support these sorts of things because at least it's something, yeah. but I'd also like to push for it to all just be, to keep getting better and better. Yeah. Well, I think to conclude that, I mean, this is, this is definitely an instance that falls into our, you know, unavoidable tragedy. Yeah. There really wasn't any present danger. No. And it's yeah it's tragic that something like this happened yeah especially in a in an instance where there was a community of people that were doing their best under adverse circumstances that the system has created to mm -hmm. foster the life of someone right yeah i agree and i guess in that in on the same Vane, I'll just read one more quote from a report from the father of Saeed. And he just said about his son, he would just walk around the neighborhood and help people. I think that's a nice way to remember this person that was unfortunately killed by the police. Yeah. All right. So on that, we'll close this episode out. 
thanks to everyone for listening. If you, as always, have information about this incident or any other, or you'd like to speak with us about the use of first segments that we do, we would love to hear from you. And until next time, bye. Bye.